Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. This month on Sunday nights, as you see on the screens before you, we are spending some time thinking about uh, a reasonable faith. Our theme for 2018 is simply the word focus, and we're trying to take our Sunday nights especially uh, one month at a time to think about a focus on something. And uh, in February, we're thinking about a focus on a reasonable faith, thinking about some things uh, from the realm of apologetics. How? Why do we believe what we believe? Can we prove the things that we believe? Last Sunday night, we uh, spent some time thinking about just a few among the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reasons why we can trust our Bible and know that when we pick up the Bible, it really is God's Word. It really is true from beginning to end. But we live in a time where what is sometimes called, quote-unquote, settled science likes to not just poke fun at, but downright attack the very opening of the Bible. Of course, Genesis chapter 1, where we're going to spend our time, most of our time tonight. Genesis chapter 1, of course, contains that foundational account of Scripture, the foundational account of the history of the world. It contains the creation account. And the fact of the matter is, either Genesis chapter 1 is true, or it is not. We cannot have, have it both ways, or try to thread the needle and have some middle ground somewhere along the way. Throughout the years, especially the last few decades, many have said that evolution is just the way of the world, it's just settled science, and to say differently, and especially to believe, as they would say it, such a fairy tale as Genesis chapter 1 is ignorant, it's wrong, it's even cruel. All the way back in 1959, Sir Julian Huxley wrote these words, We all accept the fact of evolution. The evolution of life is no longer a theory. It is a fact. It is the basis of all our thinking. In more recent years, Sir Richard Dawkins said that anyone who does not accept evolution is, quote, ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked. But I'd rather not consider that, end quote. And in very recent years, Bill Nye, yes, the science guy, made it clear that he would not want kids listening to a sermon like this one for sure because he said, quote, creationism is not appropriate for children, end quote. And he would even go on to state that teaching them the biblical account of creation as recorded in Genesis chapter 1 as fact is a form of child abuse. Now, we can multiply examples, of course, but the question becomes, is Genesis chapter 1 correct? In a world where the way of the world is just evolution, it's interesting that those who would follow that seem to forget the fact that Charles Darwin himself spoke of, quote, the many huge difficulties with this view. 
as he spoke about the evolution of man and the origin of species. So is evolution just settled science? Well, of course not. But it's force-fed to us through uh, many realms of secular education, through our mass media. And tonight I want us to spend some time in Genesis 1 mostly, and spend some time thinking about how can we compare these two things and see that Genesis 1 really is true. That Genesis 1, in fact, is more scientifically accurate than is the theory of evolution. The first thing I want us to notice, and we'll spend literally just a couple of minutes on this first point, is the fact that there are five pillars of science in the very first verse of Scripture. And we won't spend a lot of time on this first point, but so many people want to say that the Bible and science just simply cannot mix when science is literally found in the very first phrase of the very first verse. Now, that is not to say that the Bible is a science textbook. That's not the purpose of Scripture. The Bible is not a science book, but when the Bible speaks to scientific matters, it is always true and accurate about those matters. And so it's no wonder then that when the Bible opens with what is basically, or I guess we should say philosophically, a scientific claim, that not only is it true, but it contains pillars of science. There are five pillars of science. Time, force, action, space, And matter or earth. And what do you find in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1? You find time in the beginning. You find force, God. You find action, created. You find space, the heavens. And you find matter or earth, obviously in the words, the earth. It is almost as if God himself knew that the Bible would be attacked from the realm of of science. And so he put those things directly in the opening statement of Scripture itself. But someone comes along and says, well, somebody could have done that later. That's just interesting that's found there. And I get that. It's just coincidence somebody might say it. And I get that. But it is fascinating. The Bible begins with a statement that is not just a scientific statement, but it contains those pillars But that's not all the proof we have in Genesis chapter 1. There is much, much more. Some would like to tell us that what you see in Genesis chapter 1 is an allegory. It's sort of true, but we can take Genesis 1 and we can mix it with the theory of evolution and end up with sort of a concoction of the two and arrive at some level of truth. I would like to argue against that and think in the second place about the fact That the days of Genesis chapter 1 are actually days. The one thing that the theory of evolution needs, if it were to be true, is time. And I mean lots and lots and lots of time. Mind-boggling levels of time. Evolutionists now claim that the universe is somewhere in the range of 13 to 18 billion years old. Which, by the way, it's hilarious if you think about it. The range is 5 billion years. But... If you read scripture and put together the genealogies of scripture as well as secular history, we we can prove that the earth, going back to the creation of Adam and Eve on the sixth day, is somewhere in the range of six to ten thousand years old. To say the least, there is no way those two things can coexist. Six to ten thousand years versus thirteen to eighteen billion years. But some try to pigeonhole them together, place them together and say, yes, God created everything. 
But he used these vast eons of time. And what we're reading in Genesis 1, we're told, is just an allegory. It's just a tale that sort of brings us along through those billions and billions of years until we finally get to modern man or, or normal man, if you will, in later times. And so are we just hard-headed in saying that, no, Genesis 1 really is a factual narrative? Well, look at the text itself. Just a straightforward reading of Genesis chapter 1 makes it clear that we're not reading a poem. We're not reading an allegory. There is no hint, and I'm told this by people who know the Hebrew language in, in and out, there is no hint that Genesis 1 is meant to be read as anything other than straightforward historical narrative. But you also have words like day and days found throughout the account. Now, just because you see the word day does not mean the 24-hour period. We, we use the word day in several different ways, do we not? You're talking with someone and you're, you're trying to tell them how, how nice things are now and how cool things are now. And they start out, well, back in my day, you don't stop and then go, um, pardon me, what 24-hour period are you speaking of? We understand that we use that term in several different ways. But if you read Genesis chapter 1 very carefully, there are at least three clues that these are actual days found throughout the account. The first is the phrase evening and morning. It's found at the end of each of the days. You'll see it in verse 5. The evening and the morning were the first day. Brother Trey read that for us a few minutes ago. You'll see it at the end of the second day, verse 8. The end of the third day, verse 13. And on throughout the text, each of these days ends with the phrase, the evening and the morning was the first day, second day, third day. You and I don't talk that way, evening and morning. But folks, the Old Testament originally was written for a Jewish audience. How do Jews reckon time, sundown to sundown, an evening and a morning? To the Jewish mind, this is, this is how you express a day. Sundown to sundown, an evening and a morning. And so to the Jewish mind who read Genesis chapter 1, they would have read that as, he's talking about a day, sundown to sundown. That's clue number one. The other, or the second clue, is the numbering of the days themselves. At the end of verse 5, for example, you see the phrase, the first day. Now, even later in Scripture... You will find the phrase the first day used in a figurative sense, basically to mean the beginning. But here's what's interesting. When you come to day two, the second day, day three, the third day, day four, the fourth day, and on to the days of creation. Nowhere else in scripture will you ever find a numbered day, two, three, four, five, and so on, used in a figurative sense. Even more than that. Literally nowhere else in all ancient Jewish literature, not just scripture, but nowhere in ancient Jewish literature do you have the phrases second, third, fourth day used in a figurative sense. When a Jew read Genesis chapter 1 and they read evening and morning, they knew they were talking about a day. All they needed to know was which day they were talking about. First day. Second day, third day. That's one reason why they are numbered. But also consider that we can prove these are days because of how illogical it is if they are eons of time. 
If these are meant to be an eons and eons of time that are an evening and a morning, then please explain to me how the plants created on day three could have survived an evening that would have lasted millions and millions and millions of years. Now, I didn't do so well in science class, but I remember photosynthesis, don't you? If these evenings lasted millions of years, aren't you glad you're harvesting a tomato sometime in, in, the, in the summertime? It would be literally impossible. Beyond that, when you get to day five and you have the creation of birds and, and fish, how are they supposed to survive a day that lasts millions and millions and millions and millions of years? You see, it's illogical. These must be days. When Moses wrote, the evening and the morning were the first day, second day, third day, that is exactly what he meant. And the text makes it as clear as possible. But I want to share with you a third proof that Genesis chapter 1 really is true. And this is the most fascinating to me. And it is that the law of biogenesis is found directly in the text. Now, before you go, I'm not a science person. I have no idea what he's talking about. Just stick with me. To me, this is the most interesting one, and it's found in the text itself for for an account that's not meant to be a science textbook, and the Bible isn't. There is science embedded throughout Genesis 1, and it's not just some theory, it's not just some guess, but it's what we have come along in the last couple of centuries and said is absolute scientific law. It is the law of biogenesis, which is a couple of paragraphs long, but if you summarize it down, basically the law of biogenesis has two parts. One, that life only comes from life and two that life only comes after its own kind or reproduces after its own kind that's the law about and, and you you would find the scientists assuming this this online and say hey that's a simplized version i understand that it's a, it's a whole lot longer than that but that's a basic summary of it life only comes from life and life only comes after its own kind now it is true that when you look at the world around us there's a great deal of variety And you can mix certain things in nature. If you have a cat and a cat, good luck. No, they they can be they can be different breeds. But if they have a cat or if they have a baby, it's going to be a cat. They're not going to have a fish. The same is true in the plant world. There's a great deal of variety, but you simply cannot mix something like an apple tree and a dandelion and come up with some kind of plant. You can have varieties of apples. But you cannot mix across kinds. Why bring that up? Because the Bible is so careful in how it presents for us the creation and propagation of both plants and animals. Notice what's said in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, about the creation of vegetation. One eleven, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its market kind on the earth. And it was so the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own market kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its market kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening, there was morning the third day. Now, how did Moses, who wrote Genesis chapter one, know that you could produce or our vegetables could produce seed and they could reproduce, but only after their own and notice the word kind. But the same is true 
of the creation of birds and fish on the fifth day. Notice what you read beginning in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and that birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their market kinds and every winged bird according to its market kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and that birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Now, today we fully understand that whales reproduce whales, hawks reproduce hawks. They reproduce after their own kind. How did Moses know that? But day six also points out the exact same thing. Notice what you read in verses 24 and 25. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their market kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their market kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their market kinds and livestock according to their market kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its market kind. And God saw that it was good. In my copy of God's word that I read from most of the time where I've said market I actually have underlined the word kind or kinds, I believe, every time in Genesis chapter 1. And the reason is it amazes me. It makes me slow down. when I re- Most of us know Genesis 1 so very well. We've learned it since we were little babies. It makes me slow down and be absolutely amazed that the word chosen in Genesis 1 is absolutely not just biblically correct, but scientifically correct. You can mix a couple of breed of dogs, but you cannot mix a dog and a cow. Why? Because dogs of whatever breed are all canines. They are of the same kind. How did Moses know to write that down? But I also want you to consider the fact that that, knowing that that is in Genesis chapter 1 helps us to understand this basic fact. And that is that Genesis chapter 1, that is the count of creation, is actually, are you listening more scientifically accurate than the theory of evolution. How do I know that to be true? Because at some point, if the theory of evolution were to be true, across all types of things in the natural world, you would, by definition, have to cross the lines of kinds. At some point, some kind would have had to evolve into another kind. And at some point, some plant would have had to evolve into some kind of animal, which means you have not just crossing kinds, you have crossing kingdoms. Folks, this is not Adam's theory of biogenesis. This is the law of biogenesis. Genesis chapter 1 is more accurate than the theory of evolution. It's really not close when you take just that one simple fact. Now, some may think about this lesson so far and think, well, this has been a nice science class. But can we get some more Bible? For our fourth and final point, I want you to turn completely out of Genesis chapter 1. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. And I want to point out to all of us that this is important because Jesus himself confirms Genesis chapter 1. 
Some would say, you know, it doesn't really matter if we believe that the days of Genesis 1 are actually days or if they're vast eons of time, or it's not supposed to be a science story anyway. It's supposed to be just whatever. But folks, if we do not believe Genesis chapter 1, as it is given to us, then there are other places in Scripture that begin to fall apart as far as how true they are. And one of them is from the lips of Jesus himself. The text I want you to see is in Matthew chapter 19. And often we go to Matthew 19 and the first several verses of that chapter to talk about what Jesus said about marriage and divorce and remarriage. But have we forgotten that what he taught is based upon the foundation of the creation? Notice what he said in Matthew 19 verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, we often go on and look at the passage in the context and think about the plan for marriage and so on. And that's a fantastic study for another time. But I want you just to key in on that phrase in verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And notice that there are three things embedded within that statement that show us we must believe Genesis chapter 1. First of all, he was speaking to Jews. Specifically, he was speaking to Pharisees. And he asked them, have you not Read, which to them would have automatically pointed their minds back to Scripture. He is speaking about something from Scripture. But then notice what he said. He who created them. Jesus did not say he who allowed them to evolve over millions and billions of years through random chance and processes of time. The word created or made, the King James has, means to form, it means to bring about, it means that one is the author of something, it means it is an original. They were created. But then notice he said, when they were created. Have you not read that he who created them as the original from the beginning? If we want to believe... That God used vast eons of time in order to bring, eventually bring about mankind on the earth. Then may I suggest we are in dangerous ground of saying that Jesus did not know what he was talking about. Because he said that he created them from the beginning. And may I remind all of us that Jesus was there when it happened. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. John chapter 1. That's the Word who is Christ, John 1 and verse 14. He was there. And if He says it was from the beginning, then who am I to say that He has no idea what He's talking about? And that it was millions and millions and even billions of years later. We must believe Genesis chapter 1 as it is presented. Or may I suggest to all of us, if we do not, we are questioning more than just that one chapter. We are questioning so much more, including the words of our Savior Himself. Folks, you can trust your Bible. And that includes the very opening words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Those words are as true as any of the other remaining thousands of verses found in Scripture. And they form our view and our mindset of the world around us. They form our view and our mindset about our humanity. They help to begin to form our mindset about where we came from. They begin to form our mindset about our eternal destiny, where we're going when this life is over. If those words are true, then we can trust them. But we must also continue to search the scriptures and see all that's found there. Not just so we can win some kind of scientific argument. These things are interesting and helpful. But they build our faith in knowing that from the first word, Scripture is true. And if it is, then I'm going to stake my soul upon what it says for all eternity. And if God is the one powerful enough to say words, let there be light. And there was light then don't you want to trust Him? Not just with light, but with your life. The same Word that was powerful enough to speak everything we know and things we can't even see into existence revealed Himself to us through words in Scripture. That's why the Word of God is living And active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Because it is the revealed word of God. And tonight, if you've never obeyed what that word says, that the one who spoke everything into existence sent the word, Christ, to the world to redeem mankind through a sacrifice on the cross, tonight's your opportunity to respond to that. To give your life to the creator of the universe by obedience To what his son said. That you must believe. You must repent. You must confess. And you must be baptized. Tonight if you've done those things. Are you living in such a way that honors the fact that God really is God. That he really is the one who rules and reigns in your life. If the answer to that question is no. Or if the answer to that question is I'm just not sure right now. Then we'd love to pray with you. For encouragement. For strength. Or for forgiveness as such as necessary. Tonight, if you need to become a Christian, or if you need to become a more faithful Christian, won't you come while we stand and sing to encourage you?